Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker betting show. This is a Cheltenham Festival preview looking at the Irish angles sponsored by 888 Sport. I'm your host, George Ellick, and today I'm joined by two tipsters, Odds Checker's very own Andy Holding, and making his debut on the Odds Checker betting show, Johnny Ward. And we're also joined by 888 Sport ambassador Barry Geraghty. On this podcast here, Barry Geraghty's thoughts on why the Irish have been so dominant in recent years at Cheltenham Festival. He's an amazing trainer but he's constantly restocking, restocking with the best he can get. Here, which horse Andy has miles clear of the others in the Mayor's Novice on his speed figure ratings. Look, he's done the kind of numbers over here that suggests he's going to run a hell of a race. Here, which horse Johnny thinks has to be the value in the top two in the champion bumper. For me, it's a two-horse race. I think there's enough juice in his price. I think he's 15 days at the moment. And finally, Johnny and Andy both agree on who must be the bet in the Triumph Hurdle. Yeah, loads to get through on this podcast, just under two weeks until the Chapman Festival starts. But before we get your guys' views on some of the Irish challenges, as ever, when we have a debutant on the Odds Checker betting show, it's time to introduce them and listeners to Racing Weekly. We'll know all about Johnny Ward, as all people who read plenty of his stuff online uh, and seen his videos before tipping for the racing, for racing TV and others. But Johnny, Quick introduction uh, as to who you are and, and how excited are you about the festival coming up in, in just under two weeks? Yeah, um, I think my first Cheltenham, it's appropriate Barry Garrity uh, is here. The first Cheltenham was when Barry had a five-timer in 2003, I think. Um, so I went to college and um, hadn't too many hours of college work. So I started going to the bookies. I was pure boredom. Met some of my best mates and my first Cheltenham. Um, for some reason, I decided that I'd... Uh, Real crush on this Barry Garrity. Whatever anything that he wrote, I'd 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 have picked Barry Garrity. So uh, he's a great year. I'm sure he can rhyme off. Um, you'll never walk alone, and um, obviously Moscow Flyer and uh, Spirit Leader and all the horses that won that year. But um, yeah. So I I, I guess that, that was my first challenge. So this must be my twentieth thereabouts. Um, and yeah, it's it's obviously the highlight of the year. Um, I'm a freelance journalist now. I used to work for the Racing Post, Irish Independent. Um. Right now, I work for um, Racing TV, Irish Independent, a couple of bookmakers, um, and various other radio outlets as well. And um, yeah, can't wait for the festival. Something about students and Barry and the Cheltenham Festival, because I remember, <laughs> I think it was 2012, I was at uni, and you know, I love my racing. I'd pour over the form, read every single preview, watch every preview night online, and everything else. And one of my housemates who didn't have any interest in Cheltenham at all just punted Barry's rides all week, and, and he absolutely chopped it off. And I and I was left uh, just with my with my hat left at the end of the end of the week. So Barry, you're improving the fortunes, or back in the day, you're improving the fortunes of students quite clearly, both this and that side of the Irish Sea. So um, a bit different Cheltenham week for you now these days, isn't it? You how much uh, how excited are you now? Now we're getting close to the action. Oh, really excited. And I suppose um, the, an argument shish can clash at Ascot. That was the first big one for me out of the sand to watch. And the nervous excitement I had for that. Um, I wasn't sure how this feeling would be. Like I'm nearly two years on from when I when I finished I had my last ride. Um, but yeah, I am absolutely buzzing. I can't wait for this. And, and the, the clashes, the, the, the quality, the strength of the races. It's, yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm Really up for it as a spectator. <clears throat> Andy, looking forward to seeing you there on the Tuesday. A man who never misses a day. Uh, how exciting is it? And I think I know the answer to this. I'm feeling it myself, not only to have Cheltenham, but to be back there again after last year, all of us having to watch it from the, from the sofa. Yeah, hi guys. Good to be here. Yeah, um, yeah, it's going to be ter- terrific this season, even more so. More emphasis on the crowd being there. Uh, you know, the fact that we've missed out. A bit like the foot and mouth when, when we had that. The, I remember the year after then. I think it was in sort of 2004, 2005 period when um, the, uh, the crowds flocked back in and there was a real um, jamboree atmosphere the year after. So I think it's going to be um, similar uh, this season. Of course, we kick off with a great Supreme as well. So that'll get the pulse flowing, as Barry's already said, Johnny. Some great clashes throughout the rest of the week, particularly, you know, when we've got the Irish-English clashes as well. It's not just all, all, all about the Irish uh, head-to-heads. There's some, uh, there's some good stuff um, from, from the UK as well. Throwing their cap into the ring. Uh, yeah, I'm a slightly um, longer vintage than these two guys, and I, my first <laughs> my first uh, Cheltenham experience um, was back in the sort of bird's nest sea pigeon era. My dad used to take me to Cheltenham. My first Cheltenham sort of Gold Cup I remember properly, um, actually sort of going on my own was Forgive and Forgets, and I've, I haven't missed a Cheltenham Festival day. The only one I've missed in the interim was Desert Orchids Gold Cup. Of all the ones to miss, 
I've probably missed the most historic race in Cheltenham's history. Um, but yeah, I'll be there. Um, where, did, where did you watch it? I was actually working in a betting shop at the time. I was a board, mar- <laughs> I was a board marker back in the day in a, little, vill- in a little village um, close, to, close to my old home. So um, yeah, so some from humble beginnings, I've managed to <laughs> shoe on my way onto a, onto a podcast with Barry Gerrity. Amazing. Yeah, that handicap mark has only climbed ever since then. Uh, we can be sure of that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be an unbelievable start on that Tuesday. And you know, it's Cheltenham silly season when I'm, uh, it's Thursday, the 3rd of March today, 12 days before the start of the festival. And one racing WhatsApp group I'm on has spent the whole day watching Sagarhard and on, on the exchanges going into favourite at kind of 4.0, back out to 4.5 and everyone pouring over whether or not he's going to be running in the Supreme or the Ballymore. Absolute silly season would never happen anywhere else but let's get into the 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 actual crux of the preview here and both johnny and andy have have given us uh, have come up with five irish horses to follow over the course of the Cheltenham festival but before we do that i think we should talk about the the dominance that the irish are having at the moment you know we we have the presbury cup of course which is the you know the battle between uh, great britain and the irish in terms of who uh, who trained more winners and last year it was an unprecedented route it was 23-5 to the irish the year before that 17-10 maybe a bit of recency bias in terms of the the length of this dominance you know the year before that which was uh, 2019 was 14 apiece so it's not like this has been going on for too long it's not like the Ryder cups of the of the 70s and 80s where where you know the the europeans didn't get a look in but we need to look at what is going on here. And when you look at, as well at the at some of the handicap races, uh, we haven't had uh, a winner in the Potemps from Great Britain since 2015, 2017 for the, the Fred Winter or the Boodles, 2018 for the Kim Muir as well. But Barry, what, what's happening? What has been the shift in the sport that has seen the Irish rise to such dominance? What, what, what are the key reasons behind this? For me, it's, it's buying power and replenishing their stock. And Willie Mullins has always been brilliant for that. And that, for me, is why Willie Mullins has been at the top for so long. Obviously, he's, a, he's an amazing trainer, but he's constantly restocking, restocking with the best he can get. And the horses he's buying are on an open market. Um, Fabani bought from France. Um, and then you look at Pied Piper, who Gordon Elliott bought 225,000 uh, guineas from Newmarket, John Gosden. He was there for anyone. So if you to look at the, the recent ones, um, appreciated a point-to-point winner, Sir Gerhard, likewise. But the English owners buying and leaving their horses in Ireland are bringing their horses to Ireland as well with the prize money level here. Um, racing is more competitive, so it's not as if they're coming here for an easy time. So it must be that the prize money, the quality of trainers, you could say, but Nicky Henderson and Paul Nichols have been top of the game and have won everything to win. So it's not that England lacks the quality and Dan Skelton and Harry Fry and um, all these trainers are competitive with the best of England all season. Um, so for me, it's just, it's, it's buying power, quality, it's sourcing. Um, and then that feeds right down through the handicap system as well, because the, the ones that don't make it to the top level are filling the handicaps. The handicaps are so competitive in Ireland and as well, um, horses finishing placed. So a horse that was toward a 40 in an Irish handicap would probably win an English handicap. I think the English handicapper was overly hard on his horses over the years and they were getting to elevated marks. Um, whereas nowadays, he's taken a very different view this season. Um, and Langer Dan is a good example for that. He got £5 for being second in the boys' list last year. He said one run since. He was beaten 10 lengths in Taunton recently and he dropped him three. Um, I looked to drop the anchor who was placed last year um, of one four six, sorry, no, of one four three. He went to one four six, um, and has been dropped three pounds. His last four runs, he's been beaten ten lengths, thirty eight lengths, four and a half lengths, twenty eight lengths, and he's still only dropped the same as um, Dan, Langer Dan on one mm. run. So he's taken a different view, um, and I think the English handicappers are going to be in a far better position this year than the Irish. Yeah, Johnny, it's interesting because you know we talk, we can talk about about buying power, um, and you know, in terms of the top trainers as well. But when it comes to the handicaps, you know, I went to Fergal O'Brien's yard uh, this time last year for a, a stable tour, and we spoke to him, and he, and he basically said in his in his mind, with his runner in the Potemps, the race was just trying to beat the other Great British horses because he basically didn't stand a chance against the Irish. So when it comes to the, the differing handicap marks that these horses are getting this time, this side of next. Barry says that maybe this time around, the you know the, the British horses could be better treated. Do, do you see that happening? 
they could be better treated, but I'm not sure it's going to make that much of a difference, if that makes sense, because the discrepancy in terms of depth in the two countries has been really stark. And you mentioned Fergal O'Brien. I mean, Paul Nichols, you know, going on the record and saying, well, I'm not I'm not bringing horse X or horse Y to Cheltenham. Why bother taking on the Irish? I'm going to save him for, for entry. And you kind of do have to look at these things twice and say, is this really happening? You know, the, the likes of Paul Nichols almost accepting defeat. And what the handicapper is doing is... Basically, an affront to handicapping because that's not how you handicap. You don't, as as Barry says, rampant inconsistencies in handicapping two different horses and not dropping an Irish horse. Almost the insinuation being like, well, well, this horse has kind of been laid out for Cheltenham. But you have to have some sympathy for the British handicapping system because, um, he, you know, if he wants to have a dead heat in terms of races, he doesn't want twenty three five, and he doesn't want uh, the Irish horse coming over. But there, there are too many factors for this to be a quick fix for anyone. Um, twenty three five was. Um, you know, really, really apocalyptic stuff, I think, for British jumps racing. We, we should be winning five races to ten, maybe. Something like that, given our numbers and the size of our country. And essentially now, I did a piece with Ollie Murphy last year. He said it's very, very hard to sell the 300 grand horse, give or take, to an English owner. And as Barry alluded to there, the good horses are effectively staying in Ireland. They're often bought before they've even crossed the line in a point-to-point. I think if you ally that to the fact that Gordon Elliott right now, he has, we'll say, Noel Moran coming in as a big owner, and he's going to have most of his horses with him. Gordon Elliott is ravenous now. He's absolutely ravenous after the year he had to make the best of himself as a trainer, to win a champion uh, trainer's gong, and to do better at Cheltenham. Willie Mullins has been in- incredible for the last few years. He's also a great support. And Henry de Bromhead, Noel Mead never really, never really kind of conquered Cheltenham like he conquered Irish races. Henry de Bromhead has taken to it like a duck to water in recent seasons. So the three of them are exceptionally good trainers. And just in Britain at the moment, the good horses just aren't really there. And I, I'm fascinated by the Arkle and the Supreme on day one because I think that might set the tone for the festival. But British racing will need to have serious soul-searching after this festival if it's anything like last year. But this should not be happening in British racing. And I don't think there's a quick fix. So um, I think day one will be very interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, Johnny there mentioned Dolly Murphy, um, Barry mentioned Harry Fry, um, and Dan Skelton as well. You know, these are the guys who... You would think if British racing is going, is going to bounce back, you can't be relying on on Nicky Henderson and Paul Nichols to be the ones even the charge on their own. Why are these younger British trainers unable to have the meteoric rise of those across the Irish Sea? Is it a case of, of training talent? Is it a case of, of the horses that they're getting themselves? Is it, is it a problem with owners? Is it a problem with prize money? Where do you think things are going wrong over here? I think it's a combination of lots of things. I think Barry's probably fundamentally hit the nail on the head with just the stock that the Irish have got. The prize money's better. The structure, I think, of Irish racing is better, certainly uh, from a from a national hunt perspective. The, the, you know, there's not so much racing, so I, th- I think horses don't get burnt out um, coming to the festival. A lot of them come there nice and fresh. The Dublin Racing Festival's a lovely um, time of the year to, to have your last run. You know, you've got a month and a half to get over that. Um, and then you know, the, the, the big guns are not trying to run against each other as well. You know, Willie Mullins will have three, four in each race sometimes, and he'll he'll, he'll look at his pecking order after it and think, right, okay, that's an Arca horse, but we'll run that in a, in a handicap. And I mean, look what he did with Gallup under Champ last year. He ran it in a grade one. It ends up getting a mark of 142, and it's a grade one horse, isn't it? Mm. Um, and it's the same with, you know, you could just use Hollow Games as a, an example this year. You know, he's running two grade ones and yet he's got away with 143 in the Martin Pipe. So they clearly have worked out the formula. Obviously, they've got the better horses anyway, but they have got the formula. And it's obviously, you know, not not anywhere near that standard over here um, as, as, it, as it stands. I think Dan Skelton's probably taken a little bit of a slightly different approach this season. He recognised that he probably has to have his horses a little bit fresher. And I think he's, he's dodged a few bullets with a... Several horses, he thought, right, you know, your Shamblows, your Protector Rats of this world, your Langadans. Um, he, he's kept them specifically targeted for Cheltenham rather than run them, you know, on, in the build-up. And I think that might bear fruit. But largely speaking, I just, I think we, we've just, we've just lost, lost our grip on, on what's to be expected. And the Irish have very much um, got it in the, are in the ascendancy at the moment. I think just another point on that, uh, George. I mean, I used to have, you know, uh, I got a great kick out of like the likes of Barry having a tricolor kind of raped around his back when we had an Irish winner. 
them days are gone. Like I, I do not want Ireland to be beating Britain twenty three five. I don't think it's good for mm. Irish racing at all to be that dominant. We really need strong British race, and I think that point should be made as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but Barry, how do you see it going this time around? If you were to make a you know twenty three five last year, where do you think it's going to land this time around? I think it'll be closer, but I do think Ireland will be on top. So it might be three or four back the other way. Um, but yeah, I know I'd see Ireland on top. But just going back to the, the the point of quality, when I was a kid growing up and you'd have a horse win a bumper at Navan or Nace or various or points on the big tracks, the next thing you heard was Nicky Henderson or David Nicholson were over looking at him. Mm. That's not the case anymore. That's how it used to be. And then those days, Ireland were, were lucky to have two or three winners at Shallow. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like a, a pretty sorry state of affairs as a British racing fan. And, you know, Johnny, you mentioned there um, the, uh, the the state of play with the, the Supreme and the Arkle um, setting the tone. And I'm guessing a Constitution Hill Emberstone 1-2 to kick it off would, would go some way to, to um, I mean, it wouldn't be revenge, it's too pathetic for that, but it would go some way to, to easing the pain of last year, especially, you know, an owner like Michael Buckley getting off the mark on, in the Supreme, talking about big British owners could, could only be a good thing. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I, I think uh, even Irish people, there'd be a bit of nostalgia if Nicky Henderson had a horse, you know, who was well-backed favourite, a high horse winning the Supreme, whether that's one or the other or whatever. But in the Buckley colours, as you say, or even in JP's colours, um, I think even as an Irish person, I certainly wouldn't object to that start at the festival because we'd be thinking this is how it used to be and this is how it should be. Um, I'm not sure it will be like that, um, but I think it will <laughs> kind of set the tone. I really don't know. I'm, I'm bluffing a lot here in terms of trying to compare the novices. I think it's really, really hard. So I think the first day is going to be really, really key in that regard. Well, certainly after Barry gave listeners and viewers of this show the nod about uh, about Constitution Hill before his first run, I think uh, a few people listening and watching this will be hoping that Michael Buckley does get off to a flyer. But Barry, before we let you go, um, just going to ask you for your, your one your one nap, the one horse um, coming over from Ireland, who you think is the one to side with uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, well, Alaho is the obvious one, and he's a sharp price. Um, but I think Sir Gerhard in the Ballymore, I can't see him being beaten. Do you worry that he'll definitely? Do you think he'll definitely turn up there? I mean, obviously now you're getting on on a no bet or on your bets uh, with most firms. Do check the odds checker grids for that. But are you? Uh, do you reckon Sir Gerhard does take out the Ballymore rather than going for the Supreme? Um, well, I'd like to think so. Um, Willie did say he hasn't made his mind up on Dyson Dynamo. So what way he's going to split them, I don't know. For me, Desert Dynamo is a big threat in the Supreme, but the Supreme is ultra competitive. I don't think this race is as competitive. Ginto, Journey With Me, Stage Star, they aren't the quality of what's in the Supreme. So I think he would be the one for me if he goes here. And if he isn't the one, it's whatever Willie runs. Final question, Barry. If Sagarhad goes to the Supreme, who goes off favourite in the first? Well, Constitution Hill, I, <laughs> I, I, um, I actually had a look at him yesterday. I was over in England, just came back today. I was in England yesterday and I called into Nicky's and uh, visited Constitution Hill and the stable. looks great. He's really happy with him. He's in brilliant form. He worked nice in Kempton. So um, at the minute, all is good with Constitution Hill. Great stuff. Yeah, I've heard some uh, pretty good reports from that Kempton gallop. Uh, thanks very much to 888 Sport uh, Ambassador Barry Geraghty. Barry, we'll speak to you again next week. Thanks, George. Cheers, boys. Time then to get into both Andy and Johnny's picks. Five picks each, five Irish horses to side with at the current uh, prices over at the Cheltenham Festival. And Andy, we've spoken loads about the Supreme before. We've spoken about it on this podcast already. So we're going to move on straight into the second race of the festival on the Tuesday. It is the Arkle. You were pretty firm in your belief uh, three or four weeks ago that the Irish form in the Arkle uh, was much better than anything we'd seen over here. Prices at the moment have Edward Stone at nine to four, Blue Lord at seven to two, Riviere de Tell seven to two, Horton Colour seven to one, Saint Sam eight to one, fourteen to one bar. So Edward Stone really flying the flag for the British, but you're sticking to your guns and no surprise who you think is the is the player at this stage. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of Edward Stone. Look, he's done the kind of numbers over here that suggests he's um gonna run a hell of a race. Um, you know, he was good at Warwick, his jumping's got better as the season's gone on. Um, he stays really well. I think he's kind of like hardened up since getting beaten one or two handicap hurdles. I think actually being defeated kind of like made a man of him in, in many respects. And he comes there absolutely flying. He could do with his yard probably picking up a little bit. I think they've gone a little while without a winner, but just, we're still sort of a week and a half away for the festival, so it could easily change. One negative about Edward Stone in general, he's an eight-year-old and 
it tends to go to a a younger horse, you know, five, six, seven-year-olds have tended to dominate in the last decade. I think Sergeant Europe's the only eight-year-old to win it in recent times. So he's got that little um, stat to overcome. But yeah, I'm a big fan of Riviera Detail. Ever since she won first time out over fences and beat Jeremy's Flame, obviously that form has worked out really well. And her time figures uh, have just gone up and up on all her next four starts, particularly the run at Navan, three starts ago. That was the first time that really um, focused my attention uh, to her and how good she's over the larger obstacles compared to her hurdles um, performances last season. And even though she's got beaten on the last two starts, I've still remained the faith with her, or kept the faith. Um, I thought she didn't do anything wrong against what would have been a very short-priced favourite for the Arkle in the shape of Fernie Hollow, of course, if he wouldn't have uh, got injured. I thought she didn't, like I say, jump really well, kept up with him all the way to the line at Leopardstown. And then I fancied her again um, to beat Blue Lord last time, and I think she probably would have beaten Blue Lord but for that mistake at the last, she was probably a length, length and a half game and she uncharacteristically dived at the last. Um, lost a lot of momentum and handed the advantage to Willie Mullins' horse, but she was coming back at the finish. I liked her attitude. Um, lesser horses would have been um, completely derailed by that mistake. But um, she really rolled her sleeves and went hard all the way to the line. Um, and like I say, her time figures are not by a huge amount ahead of Edward Stone, but certainly enough to give me a good deal of confidence that she could beat Edward Stone, the, the, the uh, number one English horse. And in a race which I don't think probably lacks a huge amount of strength in depth, certainly based on the figures that I've got, um, I'd expect to certainly beat Blue Lord and maybe get the better of um, Edward Stone around a track that will really suit her. So, yeah, big fan of Riviera to tell. I'm really interested in for this, Andy, because I, I find the Arkle one of the tougher races. I think that Leopardstown race could be the key trial in terms of Autumn Clare, um her and Blue Lord, but I couldn't necessarily be confident she will again. You know, I think she was probably unlucky to even not get the race in the stewards room at Leopardstown. I just couldn't be sure. Did he idle in front at Leopardstown, do you think? Blue Lord, possibly. I, I, I actually felt all the way through the race at Riviera to tell was going better, jumping better. I thought Blue Lord was a little bit sticky, one or two fences down the back. Um, I thought he actually did really well just to get to the girth of uh, Riviera to tell, turning for home. Um, mm. But like I said, I, I think she would have probably won a snug couple of lengths that day had she jumped it cleanly because she was still full of running as far as I could see. Uh, so I was just I was just really surprised after the race that they went nine to two Riviere de Tell and I think as short as five to two, three to one Blue Lord. I, I, I would have mm. certainly um made Gordon Elliott's mare favourite over the two. But yeah, look she like I say, she's just got a, a really good profile and um uh, yeah, I, I think she's going to take a bit of beating in the article. My other question then is Edward Stone, you mentioned the eight-year-old stat. What's a five-year-old mare in terms of this race? Haven't many of them tried it? No, I don't think many five-year-old mares, but you know, you've got the likes of Flagship Uberalis, mm. um, Voipur Estedis. Um, I think there's another one as well. It might, might have been Contraband. I think it was a five-year-old. But there's been there's been two or three at least in the last decade to suggest the five-year-olds can hold their own. But I'd, I'd sooner go for a, you know, a, a younger horse under six and seven, then I would the other way go with an eight-year-old. The eight-year-old stats are a little bit, um, you know, more difficult to overcome. Mm. Johnny mentioned there that you find the article one of the most difficult to, to solve. I'm not going to move on without ever asking you, putting you on the spot and asking if you had to, if I was to give you a, a £10 free bet, you won't be so lucky. Uh, where would your your money be going now when you've got Edward Stone at the top end, but then, yeah, Blue Lord and Riviera to tell now level in the market at seven or two, Horton Colour seven or one, St. Sam eight to one, 14 is bigger. Yeah, um, I'd say St. Sam probably wants stepping up and trip. I mean, Edward Stone, he's he's definitely, uh, he loves fences. And obviously, you know, he is an eight-year-old, so it's time to kick on with him this year. Um, and it is kind of, it's it's a strange situation now when, when if there's a, an English train favourite of a novice race, you kind of have to look hard into into it and say what's going on here. So I, in fairness, I don't know if the Irish challenge is amazing. I think Fernie Hollow would have taken a lot of beating. But Autumn Colour, who's also a five-year-old, he was only marginally bigger in the betting than the two horses that finished first and second at Leopardstown. He obviously fell early, which is a small concern, but he actually jumps fine. He's a far bigger price. Um, I could see him being popular on the day. I'm not exactly sure who's going to ride him and what the arrangement will be there, but he obviously ran very well at Cheltenham last year. Um, and I, I don't know, he's kind of interest for me. I, I think it's going to be um, fairly... Like not a not a an amazing renewal of the Arkle, um, but I, I think he's he's gonna run very well, presuming he stays up. Um I'm not a mad fan of Blue Lord, to be honest. I don't think he don't think he'll 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 uh, do a lot if he gets uh, up the hill in front uh, necessarily. And I, I could see the Philly definitely um and reverse the form, but it's a tricky race for me. 
Yeah, I was going to say, um, question for Johnny. Can you remember the last horse to win an Arkle off the back of a fall? You'll probably know this. Oh, wow. Um, would it be Moscow Flyer? It was, Moscow Flyer. There we go, Pity Gar- Barry's last for 10, yeah, 2000, <laughs> 2002. Well, so and him offended, be, it, offended it, it he didn't ask done. me. And it was very <laughs> <laughs> He used to have the record of three wins and then an unseater or a fall. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I hope, Andy, we can get back to the time where horses like his, he had a magnetic effect on people. And that was a time when Ireland really didn't have that many winners at Cheltenham and everyone would bank on him. And it's a different narrative now, but there's, there's something special when a horse like that comes along. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Move on then to the Boodles Fred Winter handicap hurdle, juvenile handicap hurdle, which is, uh, I think the last race on the opening day. Um, and, We've got two selections here for the guys. No, it's the no. We've got the national hunt chase afterwards, the penultimate race. Uh, we've got two selections. The form lines tie into each other. Um, Johnny, you've put up HMS Seahorse here, uh, who finished behind Andy's selection. Uh, the tide turns back in January. The tide turns here, coming into the race with a mark of 137. HMS Seahorse with a mark of 128. Looking at the market itself, 11 to two. The tide turns. HMS Seahorse 12 to one. We'll give Andy first run here uh, for the Boodles. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Johnny are both sort of going in the, in the similar direction here. Um, obviously, they're both classed at Punchestown two runs ago. And I think that was, I think it might have been both their debut that day. If, if, if it wasn't, I, I apologise for not. Um, yeah, I think he'd had a couple of runs at that stage, HMSC or so. Yeah, I think he might have at least had, had the one. But yeah, I was really impressed with Tide Turns that day. Ex um, to Mark Prescott horse off the flat, it looked at, you know, a strong start, mile and a half horse. But you know, he took to it grand the first day, jumped well, stayed on well. You know, that, that form has worked out really well. We've seen HMS Seahorse, Brazil, of course, who was smuggled into fourth and subsequently uh, won. And I'm not sure whether he'll run or not off 137, but um, he, he certainly stood in the decks anyway. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, that probably was one of the, the key form lines. But just purely on a, on a time figure perspective, I, I was waiting for one race to come along and really hit the ball out of the park on the numbers because by and large, the juveniles have been pretty poor poor bunch on the figures this season, even over here. And and then along came that spring juvenile hurdle at, um, at Leopardstown on, on Dublin Roaster Festival weekend, which is often the case, is the best trial. And uh, Vuban, you know, clocked a, a, a number that was sort of up there with the likes of Arconor, who won it many years ago. Um, it was a truly run race. It sorted the wheat from the chaff. You know, some good horses dropped out, 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 the, out the back of the TV, like uh, Ben Seagal and several others that were quietly fancy that day. Even Icar Prince couldn't go the gallop, and he's won well since he was fifth. And I thought the, the, the tide turns ran really well in fourth. He went down to the last. He was still bang there with a chance. He, he just couldn't go with the front two uh, on the running, but I think they're above, well above average. Vuban and, and Phil Doran should finish, in the, you know, should finish in the first three, respectively, in the triumph hurdle based on that time figure. Um... And it's a classic Gordon Elliott plot. He, he, he obviously thought, well, see, we've got a triumph hurdle horse. C- coming away from that, he's thinking, well, obviously, we're not obviously not good enough, right? Well, I need to get one more run into him now. We know we know I haven't got a triumph hurdle. So he ran him in the Red Mills trial the other day at Garen. Again, another very strongly run race for the, for the conditions. That T Hooper really did clock a big number that day, quickening away from the field. But the tides turns really caught the eye by the way he travelled into that race. But he wasn't overly hard on him. Bearing in mind, he just needed to run, run to get another run in, under his belt to qualify. Um, so it's a case of job done, and he was got very similar profile. John, I remember to us called Flax and Flair, who finished mm. fifth to our Connor, beating twenty nine lengths uh, to the uh, many many years ago. So it's a it's a tried and trusted formula that Gordon Elliott has used before, um, and Gordon's got a great record in the in the in the Boodles in, in you know. On the whole, I think he's won it three in, three times mm. in the last eight years. So he knows what it takes to win. I think he's got the right horse. Certainly the time figure suggests he's got the right horse. And I'll be amazed if the tide turns doesn't run a big race. The tide turns there. The one for Andy. We mentioned HMS Seahorse did have one run before that run behind the tide turns and finished 15 and a half lengths behind Pied Piper, which is form that hasn't worked out too badly, Johnny. And as I say, comes in here with a mark of 128. Yeah, he doesn't have a, an Irish mark. Um, and if you look at, let's say, so um, the tide turns is uh, two pounds higher than his Irish mark, 137. That's fine. Gordon's horses are generally, I think I have the average here. I think they're four and a half or something higher on average. But he's he's not he's not been too harsh on him. 
slightly strange prep maybe that he ran him on heavy ground um i know andy made out the point there just running him on heavy ground going in for a race wouldn't be ideal he did actually travel grand at gorn and that was a good race i think we did you know you can definitely say he, he didn't um, let himself down um i'd be interested if andy knows the first winner of the fred winter i'm going to get the trumpet out here because i actually backed it um, i need to quiz this <laughs> yeah was it dabaroon dabaroon that is Ooh, a shout one oh Nina Carberry for the one and only um, Paul Nolan. Yep. And um, so Paul Nolan trades, trades, trains HMS Seahorse. And it was funny when he won his maiden the last year. He sent off odds on. Um, he still looks a bit raw on his jumping. He's obviously closely matched the tie turns, but he's by Galileo. And I just think um, Paul Nolan has has had this race in his mind for him for some time. He's laid him out for the race. He What I really liked the last year was when Gavin Cromwell's horse came up, probably went long odds on after jumping the last time. I'm speculating here. Found another gear that really, really, um, I think, goes favorably in terms of what he'll find up the hill at Cheltenham on better ground being by Galileo. He didn't actually win a race for Aidan O'Brien, but he showed smart form. He was sent off even money in a handicap over a mile. They thought he was that quick enough, but he stays very well. I, I, I'm actually... Funnily enough, I hate the way the deluded Shelton, but I've lo- always been a fan of the Fred Winter, maybe because of Dabroon. But I, I think the juveniles this year, this is actually a very good race. And whatever we make of the, the hot pot in it, Andy, um, mm-hmm. you know, this talk of Joe Chambers, the the racing manual for Rich Ritchie saying that, you know, this horse could be a supreme horse next year if they hadn't gone down this route. The the, the French um, Gaelic Warrior who's run off, I think he's run off 129. We might have no chance running against him, but I, I think both of us have a have a strong chance of a horse running very well, and mine is twelve to one. Andy, I was going to ask about Gaelic Warrior because yeah. you know, as you say, Joe Chambers there um, previously been on this on our Cheltenham previews before. Sadly, isn't this year? Otherwise, we'd be able to ask him ask him ourselves. But he, you know, talks of a supreme horse. Talk of you know, let's see if if the mark of one hundred thirty nine is honoured, and then is 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 given a mark of one hundred twenty nine for the race. When you see that, and you you know, we're all going to be seeing. Um, Gaelic Warrior running for powerful connections for the first time here. Do you see that as a an opportunity in terms of, of finding some value to go against this thing that probably has been overbet, you have to say, in the last couple of weeks? I mean, we'll see what, what price it goes off. Or does it make you step back and say, hold on, we, we don't really know what we're taking on here? I, I just, it wouldn't be in my nature to ever back a horse like that. You know, it's one of those ones where, you know, if you've seen it work at home, you, you know, he's, he's worked up upside of Uban and, you know, all, all the sort of, um, Judges at Clue Sutton are, are falling out of themselves to, to take whatever price they can get. Fair enough. But he's, I mean, it, it wouldn't matter what mark he's got for me. He could have 135, 136, 146. He, he's never, he'll never run in, he's never run in a race like this before. 20 odd juveniles flying around Cheltenham. You know, has he been on an undulating track before? Do we know he handles Cheltenham? We, there's so many questions to ask. And there's one stat as well he's got to overcome, notwithstanding the fact that Willie Mullins has never won this race. But um, I was looking at the stats this race. Um, British bred horses, uh, since this race was um, formulated, are naught from 55, and he's by Maxios, mm. who's a, um, a UK stallion. So You can't be worried by that, Andy, can you? No. Isn't the tide turns British bred as well? No, no he's not. I no. see the moon. Um, I see the moon. Okay. I'm not sure if he's, he's British bred. That, that is a crazy, crazy stat. I mean, there's been some stats which are just not worth the paper they're written on. That probably is one of them, but um, I just thought I'd throw it out there anyway. It was very similar to the stat that no uh, horse had ever won at Huntingdon before going on to win at Cheltenham, and then Shiskin <laughs> <laughs> powered up the hill and uh, you know made um, made everyone look a little bit silly. That lady. Where would you run field door, Andy? Sorry. Where would you run field door? I'd run him in the triumph. Um, okay. You know, I think I think based on what he did at Leopardstown, they'd be mad mad. Not to. He, he comes out easily second best. Um, yeah. I, I think he's, you know, he's got, he's on par with Pied Piper on, on sort of time figure. So, um, yeah, he, he, I can't believe they won't go to the triumph for him. Interesting. I think they, I think they think that the old, the new course, the longer galloping track will probably suit him better than Leopardstown, arguably. Mm. I think, I think they're probably right. I think Davy's hand might have been forced a bit by trying to force it a bit Leopardstown, but we'll obviously get to that. Anyway. Yeah. We will get to that. We're going to move on now to Wednesday. Just the one race we're going to be previewing on Wednesday. It's a champion bumper. And a brave man, Johnny, because we've got a, a paid-up member of the uh, Facil Vega fan club in, in Andy, uh, who is even money for the race. Uh, American Mike, 11-4. to 4, Redemption Day, 6-1. to 1, Mercury, 10-1. to 1, uh, James Gate, 12-1. to 20-1 bar. 
And Johnny, which one are you, are you looking to side with? This is purely, purely price-based. And there's definitely a chance that Fasal Vega is unbelievable. Um, but I think this co- this race could be a bit like when um, the, the somewhat forgotten Envoy Alain, um, I think he faced the now very forgotten Blue Sari. And Blue Sari, mm. both them well-touted. Blue Sari came up and Merrick and uh, Envoy Alain just clicked the button as he did in those days and just went on again. This could be a clash of two unbelievable horses. But... American Mike, I when I spoke to Gordon Elliott at the start of the season, I said, just what's your kind of I was doing a stable tour, what's your horse for season? He said, American Mike, right? So you're you're trying to figure out what he achieved. But when he won at Navin the last day, um, this race he won by 17 lengths. He was probably valued for winning by maybe 20, 25 lengths on the day. Now the horse that finished second battling Bessie, who was a Philly, she was she was a six to one shot on the day. She then went uh, in and ran in a in a grade two at Leopardstown and was beaten a short head, albeit a 33 to one. And if you also go back and look at Hemlock, who's disqualified in the race, he's run very well over hurdles since. The the, the, the one worry I would have had about Fasal Vega is the horse that he admittedly beat very, very easily last time was subsequently beaten uh, when I thought he'd win readily at Nace. He was kind of beaten with no excuses. So there's just a slight concern as to as much as there were six previous winners against him that day. Um, should he be as short as he is? And they have kind of made mentions of the other horses, Redemption Day and Mercury as well uh, in Willies. But I think American Mike... Um, and it would be interesting in Andy's take on his own speed figures. I think he's probably sensationally good. They seem to be saying that um, about him all year. And I think he will be closer to him on the day than he is right now. I think there is there is a, there is a star in this race, but it might be American Mike. Just quickly, before we get Andy's thoughts, Johnny, would you be backing him each way at 11-4, given the shape of the race? Yeah, I, I'd, I, I'd have no issue with that. Um, you know, in general, in terms of backing 11-4, 5-2, to 9-4, 2-1, would have no issue backing each way. Um, at the same time, I mean, is is is, is sort of one one to two massive value to finish in the first three and an inexperienced horse going to Cheltenham. I'd probably tend to, to back him just win, um, but I'd prefer to back him win than back him without, if that makes sense, because I think Fasal uh, Vega has been... Price as if he's he's absolutely gone by, and how can we say he's that much better than American Mike? Andy, over to you. How can we say that Fasal Vegas are much better than American Mike? I mean, American Mike, you were you were. I remember before Fasal Vegas' mm. first run, you were all over American Mike and said nothing can beat it, and then Fasal Vega turned up and you and you said, oh, oh, maybe maybe I was wrong. Yeah, that that that's the unfortunate um, um, issue with doing podcasts pre Christmas and um, <laughs> having having an opinion or being forced to to. to um, you know, backup statements that I make, you know, back in November. But yeah, when American Mike won at Down Royal, I said that nothing had run faster than him. I mean, he did a time figure that day at Down Royal that was eye popping. He would have won every champion bumper based on that in the last decade off that time. So straight away, I figured, oh, this is, this is, um, you know, a really good horse. So I had a few quid, him, few quid on him at the price he was then. But then along came Fasal Vega and he went slightly quicker, not by a huge amount. I think Johnny's absolutely spot on. The two of them are very, very, very good. They're probably the best two horses we've seen in this race for many, many years. Um, but he was really good the first day. He didn't have to actually improve much to win the second time. Um, he was slightly slower on the clock. But he, he, the day when he won um, the first day, I, I did a split screen comparison. I, I apologise if many of you viewers are tuning in to listen to this for the second time. But for those that are new to this uh, podcast, then mm-hmm. this is for you. But um, if you set that sort of video running from the um, where, where the, the wings are from the one going away from the stands to the winning line, you compare Fasal Vega with uh, Sir Gerhard and there was 50 lengths difference. And, and obviously, you know, there's six flights of hurdles to be taken into account that Sir Gerhard, Sir Gerhard uh, jumped. Um, so obviously, it wouldn't have been that much of a winning margin. But when you put the two races up and you watch them on a the screen, you think, God, I might look how far he's ahead of Sir, Sir Gerhard. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, and look, you know, the form of his races of that race has worked out well. The horse of Paul Nan, the joy machine, um, he won well, he, he won easily in the end at Navin the next day. I think he would have won even easier. They got a clear run. Um, I certainly take Johnny's point of view that maybe the second could have given it a slightly better boost. Um, at um, over the weekend, Paul Nan, he's all the horse. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think that's probably. You what know. a race, though, Andy! Like the two of them coming down to the just coming down the hill, and you can see both. Well, who's gonna who's gonna go first here? It's what Sheldon's all about, really. Oh, it's gonna be a great race. I mean, I mean, Paddy's been also talking about Redemption Day as well. I think mm. I don't think he's totally. Um, <coughs> I forgot to should be a forgotten horse. Um, so yeah, it's a fascinating race. I, I think the prices are probably wrong. 
I think it, I think Fasel Vega is probably too short at even money uh, compared to what American Mike did, as has also done on the numbers. Um, but yeah, bring it on! It's going to be a great race. I, I think um, we're in for some fireworks there. Exciting! Looking forward to the champion bumper, uh, American Mike, the one for Johnny. Uh, on to Thursday's race, and a, a race that truly does belong to the Irish in recent times. As I say, no British trained winner since 2015. It's the Potemps final, and um, this time last year. It was um, for, for similar connections, Johnny. We were all trying to guess where would the shunter turn up, uh, trained by Emmett Mullins, uh, owned by Paul Barn, And we had plenty of entries. This time, Winter Fog has entered for the Coral Cup, for the Potemps, for the County Hurdle and for the Martin Pipe. Uh, and you think he's worth siding with for the Potemps here? Yeah, so like there are there are a couple, like I've one of my other horses as well is double or triple entered, so there's yeah. that proviso. Now Winter Fog, he's one of the horses who's gotten off a little bit harsher relative to his Irish mark. I think he's I think he's seven pounds higher in Britain. Um, but you can't but really like the profile of this horse. He has had one start for Emmett Mullins, and it was in that race at Leopardstown um at Christmas. Now I know the the, the winner Panda Boy was very well fancied on the day. He was disappointed since. Watch the way Winter Fog travelled. And I know there was a suggestion from Connections that he did uh, take up the run a little bit earlier than ideal. I think what they'll try to do with him is uh, hold on to him a lot later. I don't know who's going to ride him in the pretense, but they'll, they'll be arriving there late. And uh, as you say, Paul Byrne, Paul Byrne's a friend of mine. He's been amazingly successful at procuring horses, including the Shunter. Um, this horse is an eight-year-old. He's only actually had five starts. He's only had one for Emmett Mullins. The, state, the yard switch um, brought about an immediate dividend when he nearly landed the gamble at Leopardstown. Um, the horse who was third in that race, strong traveling horse, um, who may well run in, in uh, Chelton as well, uh, who'd been having a very good year um, to, 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 to future and region. He traveled really well as well. But Winterfog was, I mean, he probably took it up a little bit too soon, but um, this will have been the plan from since certainly Cheltenham. He's so lightly raced, um, and I just love our, for his inexperience how he travelled that day, and I still think there's a bit of juice in the price. I think wherever he goes, he will be backed. Yeah, still a bit of juice there. Best price at the moment, 12-1 to 1 for Winter Fog. And Andy, you've got one here as well to take, uh, well, not to take Winter Fog on with necessarily, but... Interesting to note, as I mentioned, the uh, you know the British have a terrible record in this race in recent times, but we've got um, Sporting John of Philip Hobbs's and Alaphilippe of Fergal O'Brien's right at the top of the market, um, which doesn't really tally with what we've seen in recent years with with uh, the handicap marks of those horses turning up here. And uh, there's another Irish one that you think could be worth siding with. Yeah, a lot of the press guys and, and um, punters want to get rid of this race, but I absolutely love it. It's probably one of my favourite races to bet on. Now I know the the sort of key factor to finding the winner of this race, and that's basically just a look at that Leopardstown um, handicap year in year out, year in year out. I mean, Sade de Berlay, he snuck in there, didn't he, a couple of years, and Delta Work won it, and several of the brothers have followed suit. Um, so basically, you just watch the video back of that Leopardstown race, and you know you you you, you, you get stuck in. Um, Dunboyne was one of the horses that I was kind of a half half having to look at. I thought he was quite interesting, but. He's either left on the same mark, I think, Andy. I think he is, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I was just really disappointed with his next run the next day when he went back to Leopardstown. I was just looking for something a little bit more than him. Kind of sort of slightly put me off um, Dunboyne. But yeah, look, Winter Fog's definitely on my shortlist. I'll probably split my stakes at this very stage. He's definitely one of them. I love the way he went through the race, as Johnny said. I think the better ground will suit him, and that's key to him. I, th- I just think the ground was just a, probably a little bit too soft for him over yeah, that three miles. Yeah, so I think the better ground at Cheltenham will definitely suit. But look, he'll be bang now, I'm sure of it. And the other one I like is the big galloper, who I could not believe for the life of me how he managed to win round Musselburgh last time out in the strongest run UK um, qualifier at Musselburgh last time out. And there's been a lot of slowly run races, small tactical fields that haven't really led to a great deal form-wise. But they went, like I say, proper gallop at Musselburgh. There were some well-fancied horses in that race, like Brawson and um, uh, Wackle, the horse who's, I think he's unbeaten round Musselburgh. And and this fella just outstayed him and galloped on all the way to the line. And I, I didn't notice that he, he got a good run under his belt at Cheltenham a couple of years ago when he finished second in a handicap. So he's been around the track before. Um, he looks to have done quite well, to my eyes anyway, getting in there 131. Um, he might need a few to drop out, but um, I think that might well be the case with a lot of doubly entered horses. So if he sneaks in down the bottom, then um, I'd go with a big galloper along with Johnny's um, winter fog. They've had... Um, like some bad luck with uh, Blazing Cal for the same connections and other state mm, yeah. hurdler. But I, I had to laugh, Andy. Um, 
<laughs> after he wasn't backed at Musselburgh at all because no. I looked at Mark that day, but it was like uh, after the race, trainer had no explanation for the improved form shown. Maybe he just didn't know. <laughs> so, he didn't know what he got. No, he didn't know what he got. But look, that, that, that was the, only the second time that he stepped up to three miles. And mm. you look at all of his other previous runs, including that run when he was second at Charlton, he's just quite, he's been crying out for further. Um, he very much. Lives up to his name, doesn't he? He looks like a bit of a giraffe. He's a quite a big horse, hence the fact that he managed to win round Muscle. But I think Charles Burns was even caught out by that. Um, but well, look, joint... he got he managed to get him qualified with a with a with an unexpected win, let's say. Mm. I mean, you say he wasn't well backed, obviously 17 to 2, no big gamble, but SPs before that of 100 to 1, 200 to 1, 17 to 2, 14s, 33 to 1. Um, show the level of form that he was showing prior to that win at Musselburgh, uh, and could obviously be very well treated if repeating the trick as Andy hopes uh on then to the mayor's novice now uh the mayor's novice is the next one for Andy and prices at the moment we like one at the top end of the market but we have uh, brandy love is 11 to 4 uh, dino blue 3 to 1 party central 13 to 2 la bell 8 to 1 with grongy and impervious 14 to 1 bar andy but it's dino blue at threes that's uh, that's taking your fancy at the moment and for the mayor's novice you know we talk a lot about about the Supreme, the Valley Mall, even the Albert Bartlett with your speed figures. Um, but no reason as well why your numbers can't be pretty, uh, re- you know, can, can reveal a great deal about the chances of these. No, um, it, it, it's unlike for me to go with the horse who just had the one run with, with Dino Blue, but um, she's actually top rated by quite some margin off the back of that Clonmel win, just the one run. Uh, but it was a spectacular performance. Remember that, remember that race distinctly? I was doing with William Hill radio shift that day. And uh, I was just covering the races, and you know, I'm going to do, and it just looked an ordinary race. I thought, what on earth is this? The way it powered its way through the race. Um, and when I went back and done the time, I, funny enough, I actually did the numbers on the day. I remember clocking the, running the race back and doing it. And I actually said to the, the, the listeners that day that this horse must be some tool because it beat cashback. I think I won a two and a half mile conditions race, flooring one of those. Um, um, Achievely Park horses, and I think the difference in the circuit time was something like eight seconds. It was something in in that region, and the overall time figure fell up a furlong was by miles in favour of Dino Blue. Uh, and they haven't they've, they've resisted the temptation to run her against since. Um, so they, they they've, they've clearly they've clearly known what they've got. They almost think well they don't need to run her again, and she certainly doesn't need to improve on her technique. Her jumping was unreal. The, the ground she was taking out of the rest of them was quite spectacular. So she definitely knows how to operate over a hurdle. And um, I, did, I did notice that the second and third um, were due to fight out a finish of a, of a Limerick maiden hurdle the other week when, unfortunately, Henry de Bromwich's horse tipped up and left um, me lighthouse clear. So that form has already been boosted, only in a small way, of course. We're not talking about graded horses, but it, it has at least been boosted. But I think this is a fair tale, this dude, Dean Ablu. Um, and even though Brandy Love is respected and... I think she'd be better off going left-handed. I'm, 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 I'm certainly a fully paid up, paid up member to that theory. I just don't think she's good enough to beat Dana Blow. I think she's a proper horse. Johnny, any view on the mayor's novice? Yeah, and um, there was a lot of chat about her actually in terms of obviously Willie had so much depth. One of the horses gone out of it now. Mm. Um, so much depth in the race. I will give a mention to um, Mighty Blue in this race. Um, she's a horse that it's very interesting that she's gone back for the race again as a maiden, which is exactly what concertista did now when concertista ran in the race and she was touched off in 2019 i think she was a big price um i had a i had one of these kind of accumulators going on that was a mixture of like cheltenham probably a race in ireland and some jp horse i'd got a tip for like in stratford or something to make a long story <laughs> short i had all this money going on um and, and the last leg of it was an accumulator so the last leg um was going into the mayor's hurdle and it was on Epitant, obviously, and she just had to win for me to win. And I think it was something like 16 grand or something. And Epitant absolutely flopped that day. But she was actually running against the likes of Concertista, who then went on and won the race the following year uh, in a canter. But it's, I backed Mighty Blue in the race last year. She was quite well backed. She travels really well. She's a very good horse in the flat. Um, now, she was obviously beaten in a maiden the last year. I wouldn't mind that too much. She is going back for the race. She's 20 to 1. So I think she could run very well. But definitely Andy's horse. She, she looks special the last day. Do you think, John, if she wants nice ground, uh, Mighty Blue? I know she's got a bit of a soft ground in the form, but, but flat form would be, you know, some of flat soft would be different to, to uh, the Irish soft. Absolutely. And I think that'll that'll suit down to ground. Like she does actually travel very well. She's rated like, mm. 
rated 106 on the flat, so it's kind of mad that she hasn't won a hurdle race. And I wouldn't mind her defeat the last day. Um, the market was a bit odd that day. They kind of came for her and then they, they kind of went against her. But on her on her platform, um, she's well able to win a race like this. And I just like the fact that she's gone back again um, as a as a novice. Uh, you know, for a horse that does have a bit of experience, and she, I think she run very well. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention Epiton, but in that, in that green and gold and the mare's novice, I was on that day too, Johnny. And I'm, oh. I'm guessing. If you if you're on that morning as well, given that she drifted from kind of eleven to eight to fifty to, to fifteen to eight on the day, you incorporate bog into your multi. It was probably more like thirty grand, but uh, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for that. I really, really need to that. <laughs> we get it all back this time. Don't you worry about that. Uh, we'll move on before uh, Johnny leaves the call uh, to look at the Kimure. And there's a horse here, Andy, um, that you you know a horse has entered for the Kimure and entered for the Ultima, and you say you you'll you'll back him either way. Um, I'll run through the market quickly. We've got Frontal Assault. This is for the Kimura. Frontal Assault's 5-1. to one. Ain't that a shame? 11-1. to one. Uh, Fleur, 12-1. to one. Smoking Gun and uh, Deal Kerr and Fakir Delay. Or uh, 14-1, to one, as is Omar Moretti. And the horse uh, that you want to talk about now uh, is Mr. Fogpatches. A bit of blue on odds checker. As short as 10-1 to one in places, but still a bit of 14s around. Yeah, I'm not sure at the time of recording which race this horse will um, end up running in. Uh, and I don't really know which is the target out of the two. I, I, I see him entered up in the Ultima. I think he's number 51 in the Ultima, a lot higher up because, um, you know, it's a, a weaker race, isn't it? The Kim Muir, I think he's 20-odd. Um, but he's a, he's a, just a horse I really like. He's laid his heart on the line in pretty much every stamina test available in the last 12 months. Obviously, he was third in the, the Scottish National uh, as, a, as a fairly inexperienced horse. I think he's only a six-year-old, seven-year-old. And he's done absolutely nothing but improve and um, get, be- you know, get, get better in the better races as time's gone on. Uh, I thought he was an incredible run in the, the Cork race early on in the season. I think he was last going out to the final circuit in Grand and he wouldn't have liked. And he managed to run on to finish third behind Brayside. He ran well in the Troy Town again behind uh, Run While Fred, who was obviously very well handicapped. Um, and he just couldn't lay a glove on Commodore when he went to Cheltenham um, uh, um, uh, pre-Christmas. But again, it was another solid run, proving that he handles Cheltenham. Um, and that Thiestis chase um, the other week was a really, really big number. Um, I put up Death Duty the other day um, and Coco Beach out of that race. I was that confident that um, one of those two would run well. And they finished first and third, I think, respectively in, in that um Grand National Trial. So I, I already know that form is as is, is good as what the, the numbers suggest. And if you watch Mr. Fog Patches as well, he went around all the way around the inside on the swamp, something that you literally couldn't do. I think a lot of horses went around the inner, like Gascaria 10 and Brayside, literally fell out the back of the TV. He was the only one who actually kept up with them going around the inside. So I upgraded that performance. And he's, he's actually come out of that race only £2 higher, um, certainly in the, with, with regards to the Irish um, handicap. I think he's a bit higher now over here. What is he? 140. So He's he's four pound higher if you if you're a weights and measures man, but I just can't can't envisage him not running well just because he always does. Um, mm. And as I said I don't really know which race he'll end up running in. I I think he probably might be better off in the Ultima for lightweight because he's not an overly big horse. So if a lot drop out, I think 20, I think it's twenty four maximum fielders in the Ultima, uh, and there's every chance that they will. If he's snuck in, you know, right down the foot, then he would be a serious contender in that. But either way, good, good amateur on in, in the Kimio. If he didn't make the ultimate, I'd, I'd be more than happy to, to row, the, row, row in with him again. So I think non-runner, no bet in both races, you, you, you're bound to get a good run for your money. Obviously, you won't lose it if he doesn't run um, in the other race. Yeah, as I say, you can, you can see on the odds checker grids which firms are uh, non-runner, no bet. Most are now, but make sure you do check before you have your bets. Otherwise, um, if you know, doesn't, especially if you're backing two, uh, one horse in two races, um, you will lose your money on the one where they don't turn up. Um, Johnny, any view on the, the Ultima or the or the Kimmy, or should we move on to Friday? Yeah, Pat Fahey's horse is two from Turkey as well, Andy, even though he's not ungenuine. So it would be a hell of a feat. I think he might be one from 12 over fences. Um, but he, as you say, he's won some very good races. Like, Frontal Assault is... He's kind of obvious in the Kim Muir as much as his prices kind of reflects that now. Um, that run behind Fleur is very good. Um, imagine he'll have Jamie Codd in the plate. He's a graded win over hurdles. He's very likely race, but um, it's a tough race. I, I keep an eye out in Grand Party as well. I think he's as much as he's frustrating. I think he's a lot of ability, but the Kim Muir isn't one that I was massively concentrating on. 
let's go move on to the Friday then. And the opener on Friday is the Triumph. And it feels like this is a Cheltenham with, with plenty of big matches uh, over the course of the week. And this certainly, no disrespect to the others who, of course, play their part, um, feels like a, a big tussle, especially a tussle, a uh, you know a, a war of words uh, in the last couple of weeks as well. Vauban is the 15-8 to favourite ahead of Pied Piper at 5-2. to two. Fidor is 7-1, to one. Porticello 10s, Night Salute 12s, Iker Allen, uh, Ilete de Temps both 14 to 1, 16 to 1 bar. And um, yeah, a lot of conversation about about the Vauban, Pied Piper form. Uh, Vauban, uh, 15 to 8 at the top end of the market at the moment, Johnny, and you agree with that? Okay, this is this is quite simple. And it was a bit like American Mike. I, I think this is a two-horse race. Um, and I, Andy could clarify maybe the British hopes. I, I, I'd imagine our juveniles are better. Um, I cannot, <laughs> I can't, I, I can't. What do you think, Andy? Oh, no, absolutely spot on. Um, mm. they're, they're, they're light years ahead of um, the UK horses. So I, I, I fancied Field Door at Leopardstown, and there was a there was a kind of you were watching the race, and Davy Russell was unusually kind of um, I wouldn't say forceful. He was he was kind of trying to push the race such that it didn't become a sprint. And Vauban, despite the fact that he was leaning right at his hurdles, and again was a bit keen first time tongue tie, he absolutely left him for dead. Now this track. This track might suit him a bit better, and he might. It's probably more of a gallop in nature. But Vauban went into that race with very little experience. Obviously, that that Pied Piper race, and the turn of foot he showed for me was absolutely sensational. Now he and Pied Piper, they're both very good flat horses who've taken to hurdling. Pied Piper is obviously taken to Cheltenham, which is a slight concern for Vauban because he can go right at his hurdles. They're obviously clashing again. Um, just found it interesting that Patrick Mullins simply said. Vauban is better than the Pied Piper. I'm not really sure why he said that, but he said that in a Q&A during the week. Mm. For me, it's a two-horse race. I'm not I'm not for certain he's going to beat him, but I think there's enough juice in his price. I think he's 15 to 8 at the moment. Mm. The, the, the turn of foot he showed the last year was sensational. I, I can't see how Fieldor beats him. And that and unless Iker Alain, who was well beaten um at Leopardstown, he was what was interesting was he was really well backed on Saturday. Like his maiden hurdle form looked reasonable and he had run well in the grade one, but he's beaten about 10 lengths. He didn't, maybe didn't run his race. He was back as if defeat was out of the question Saturday and he absolutely bolted up. Uh, and he's obviously put forward the tight turns as well for the Fred Winter. It just looked a very strong race. This horse, despite still doing stuff wrong, was miles better than them. And uh, I think he could go off odds on in this time. Odds on, Andy. I know you're a big fan of Oban. Do you agree? Yeah, no, I'm a massive fan of Oban. This has got the the hallmarks of being an, an our Connor Mark too, and that's paying also also the ultimate respect to Pied Piper because I don't think he's any muppet as we saw when he won at Cheltenham. But um, I think Oban probably would have beaten him, wouldn't he, Johnny, at um, Punchestown had he yeah not ran around and obviously got messed around at the last um, he had to check his run and then he was obviously closing in on, on Pied Piper. I think he was very much the superior horse that day and what they've done subsequently I think has proven that that is very much the case even allowing with the fact Pied Piper's won by 10 wickets or more at Cheltenham and he's got they the definitely got experience. Feeling as well Andy they thought that Fieldor was better than Pied Piper I'm yeah. virtually certain they did oh yeah absolutely yeah mm. um, I think he almost came over as a bit of a foot soldier didn't he Pied Piper mm. just to kind of like test the water with the English horses and they probably come away thinking, oh, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way that Vauban went by um, Field Door at Leopardstown was a sight to behold. And I don't know if you remember that race, but there was a the camera was there was like a roving inside camera, wasn't it? That went by, went with them from the home turn to the last. You could just see him cruising up, and Davy mm. was flat to the boards on Field Door. He probably couldn't get his breath, could he? That this thing had gone by him, and then he just went further clear in the running. But so the time figure. Of that win there would have won the Triumph Hurdle for the last decade. There's only been um, our corner we've run quicker going into the festival, certainly on the numbers that we collect. Um, so it'll take a very, very good horse to beat Vauban. If he stays on his feet and he doesn't do anything wrong, then he ought to win quite comfortably, I'd suggest. Johnny reckons odds on SP. Andy, what do you think the SP will be? Hard to think that a horse will be odds on in... in in a in a race like that, particularly if obviously Pied Pipe and Field Door both go there as well, um, you know there's a there's a there's an argument to say that Field Door is it like I say he's also an each way bet for nothing if you if you didn't mm-hmm. want to take short odds about um, about Vauban, but it's hard to say anything beyond that. The, the 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 thing is with the with the UK horses, and I think Gary Moore's got at least one or two of them. They all want really really heavy ground or soft yeah. ground. Porticello's massively ground dependent. Mm-hmm. He, you know he got. He got done for a turn of foot at um, Doncaster on, on good ground. Knight salute, admirable horse though he is. 
he's just not in the, you know, he's, he's not in the same ballpark as the Irish horses. Um, and and just the level of form of the year, guy horse has been poor. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I must have been done about 10 podcasts, and I, I think I've said it every time, I'm not George, that we haven't mm. got anything fit enough to lace the boots of the Irish horses. And, that, and they finally turned up in that spring juvenile and obviously Pied Piper. So, um, yeah, the, the, the numbers um, tell me that the Irish have got a big advantage and I expect that to be played out on the day. The, the Pied Piper as well and Vauban, in fairness, in terms of what they've done on the flat in their respective, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking at this kind of on paper going into their careers, they were very good horses who have taken and so they did they tick so many boxes sometimes you get the likes of O'Connor who was a decent flat horse and he was transformed but these horses had shown serious pace on the flat and if Hyde Piper was a, the one thing you would say about his earlier clash with Vauban he was keen that day he's getting better Vauban were a tongue tied the first time the last day and he still did stuff wrong so I think I think the two of them are very exciting and uh, I think it, again it'll be a bit like the bumper Elliot versus Mullins in a race to Sabre yeah, another one, Elliot versus Mullins. And we'll move on to a race uh, in the Martin Pipe, where I'm sure there'll be quite a lot of Elliot versus Mullins at the top end of the market. At least there is now. Uh, Langer Dan is the the uh, fly in the ointment there, 5-1 to one for Dan Skelton, a joint favourite with State Man at 5-1. to one. Manella Kroon, a 9-1. to one. Adamantly chosen, 10-1. to one. Chemical Energy, 10s. Good risk at all, 11s. And then the one that you fancy here, for Gordon Elliott, Johnny. Um, we've got Hollow Games at 11-1. to one. Entered for the Ballymore and the Arbabal as well, but with a mark here possibly of 143. Yeah, so I spoke to Noel Moran actually today, and uh, he just, in fairness, he said, like, we're not really sure 100%, um, but the mark definitely gives him a chance. You mentioned State Man there. I think this goes back to the start of this conversation in terms of um, why the Irish are doing so well. State Man you know, with another yard, we'll be running in one of the greatest ones, quite simply. So might hollow games. But mm. the likes of Gordon and Willie have so many novices that they quite reasonably want to split them up. And hollow games for me, um, I'm taking a bit of a chance on him here, but I think he has a lot of ability. That that race, obviously, at Leopardstown, will be interesting to see what role it plays in the two novice races, including the Albert Bartlett. Um, but by this time, we'll have a fair idea of the value of that form. He travelled really well into the straight. His form is very solid. That run, obviously, at Nace and the Lawlers. I think Ginto's a very good horse. Um, Hollow Games, to me, the way that they've spoken about him, there are they are expecting more from him. Um, I think a truly run race will definitely help him. There was a race dictated by the winner, obviously, the last day at Leopardstown, Manella Cocooner. Um, and he just wasn't able to quite go with him. He looked like he was going to finish second, then he faded a bit. But he's a fine big horse, should be exp- improving with experience. I'd like if they tried to exploit this mark and the Martin Pipe, obviously, a race that Gordon likes to win. He won a couple of times in recent years. Um, I'm not sure he'd be quite good enough to win the, one of the novice races, but I think there's enough juice in his price. And obviously, you want a likely race horse going into a race like this. Um, for me, he's interesting. I think he'll run a very big race. Andy, any views on this, the, the closer uh, of the festival? Yeah, I'm, I'm always looking towards the Irish horses in this race. I think history takes that, um, particularly from yards that have won it before. You know, the Gordon Elliott's, the William Mullins of, the sea, the, of, the, of that ilk. Um, massive um, respected hollow gains if he does run. I mean, he's obviously well-treated. He's a classic plot, isn't he? Well, not plot, but he's, he's a classic trends horse, isn't he? Having run mm. in, in a grade, um, two grade ones, um, very similar to sort of Gallop on the Champ. You know, your Don Polies. Um, the Champ, sh- 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 was it? What was it? Champ, the Champ won it many years ago. Was it? Was that a horse of, of Willie's that for the Gigginstown Stable? I can't remember his name now. I think he, wow. he went over fences and he, he ended up being a very good horse, didn't he? Yeah, he was also by um, he was also by Sir Deschamps. Sir Deschamps, that's the one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sir Deschamps. So, you know, those are the kind of horses traditionally that win this race. Um, I'd, I'd say Bambridge is worth a look further down the list. Um, not yeah. sure whether he definitely Back goes there, but actually, disappointing. Yeah, he didn't get the clearest to run through that day. Mm. He went around the inside and he got squeezed out, two out, and then stayed on over two miles. But they stepped him up last time out um, and he, he won well at St. Navin. Good time figure. Um, and it's interesting that Joseph O'Brien has won this race before with um, a horse, uh, JP's, a couple of years ago. This is his only entry. I mean, mm. not sure how many he could have entered in this race, but that's his only one this season. He's got 137, so he might be worth a look at a bigger, bigger price. Mm-hmm. Andy, your column's normally out there. Is it night before racing during the festival? That's the plan. Yeah, I've had a quick uh, chat with the boys. I think they they want it um, as soon as possible, really. But luckily this year, I've managed to uh, get myself some press accreditation, and and I can actually do my work in the uh, the requisite bo- box or, or place where oh, I should be doing it. Rather, rather than for, 
you were in for a treat, Andy. You, you, in no better media room in the world that you look better after than at Cheltenham. The food, the drink, coffee, it's, I'm telling you, you, you won't want to leave. Yeah, there's normally a very good Irish stew at some time during the week, which is always worth getting into. The last three or four years, I've, I've done it in a corporate box. You can imagine, like, with the busyness of that, people asking you questions, you're typing away. You, you just never can get your work done, so hopefully I'll get no interruptions. As well, Andy, this is the first year in, in four, not including last year, where I'm going as a, as a punter rather than working, and I'm very happy to, to have handed over my press accreditation to you for our checker this year. I think you deserve Fantastic. it more than me. Uh, thank you very much to both Andy and to Johnny for sharing their thoughts on the Irish angles at this year's Cheltenham Festival. Thank you very much to 888 Sport as well for sponsoring the podcast and 888 Sport Ambassador Barry Geraghty as ever for sharing his wisdom with us. Do download the Odds Checker app now for the best prices, bookie offers, free bets, place terms going to be important for the festival, uh, no, 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 no bet information as well. And of course, some of the best tipsters in the game, including Andy Holding. Thank you both very much for your insight. Uh, do keep an eye on the YouTube uh, channel, the Oddschecker YouTube channel as well, where you'll find plenty of previews. Next week, we'll be doing our usual day-by-day previews. It'll be a long old day filming, out, Andy. I hope you're looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, look out. We'll find it all there. You can see our stable tour as well with Neil Mulholland uh, that's out a day in the life of Neil Mulholland and plenty else there too so do check that out you can find the podcast on any podcast platform as well please ensure you enjoy the racing and as ever with all of these tips ensure that you are gambling responsibly